The last time a triple play ended a game in the majors was 2009. The Yankees pulled off the inevitable to save her oldest Chapman on Sunday, their third triple play in a month. This year's team spent most of the season punch drunk, but recently they have been punching back and have knocked out five come-from-behind wins in their last six games. Someone familiar with throwing knockout punches joins us today, Yankee fan and former heavyweight contender, Gentleman Jerry Cooney. We triple dog dare you to triple your pleasure on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post next. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43, and at Jake Brown Radio. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Write in a nice review, too. We do appreciate it. We are excited to chat later in the show with a Yankees fan and former boxer contender in the heavyweight division, Jerry Cooney. But first, let's talk about the Yankees swinging back a little bit. Five come-from-behind wins in their last six game and an MLB season-tying third triple play The 2016 White Sox also did that. They've done it May 21st against those same White Sox, Thursday against the Blue Jays, yesterday against the A's. And Jeff, this team, finally this season, I know they had that 17-5 and stretch or whatever in May, going from May to June, but they are finally looking like a team that is showing some life right now. Yeah, the roller coaster's at the top. It's it's not at the bottom. Like it's been a roller coaster ride the whole season. You know, this is what it is. You know, that's why I think what was it like three or two weeks ago when I said, "Can you get excited about this team?" It's a wait and see until September because they're so up and down. But right now they're up. They had a really nice sweep against Toronto in. Buffalo, and then they won two out of three against the A's, and the A's are a really good team. You know, they've played really good baseball. Sanchez has been outstanding. They moved him up in the lineup. What, he's hitting 280 over the last month. So, you know, he's coming alive. You know, it's it's really good to see that they're playing so well. Now they're going to get Luke Voigt back on Tuesday. He's an infectious guy in that, in that locker room and also in the dugout, and they seem to be playing well when he's in that lineup, even though he was struggling a little bit when he first came back. So hopefully that turns around. Uh, you know, they're playing really good baseball right now, and that's that's what you want. That's what you want to see. They have an easy – well, nothing's really easy, but they play the Kansas City Royals here coming up, and hopefully they can win two out of three and maybe sweep them before they have to go to Boston, and then they hit a tough stretch again. So right now they're playing great baseball. The triple plays have been unbelievable. The two against the White Sox and then the A's were tailor-made right to Urshela. And it couldn't have been any easier. And the Blue Jay one was just some base running mistakes, and they took advantage of it by the Blue Jays. But, you know, what an incredible time right now. Yeah, and you got to be thinking if you're a fan. I know I was. Like, Chapman walks the first two guys in the ninth inning on Sunday, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, boy, here we go again. You know, we could have swept this series, but Tony Kemp, absolutely demolished a baseball that pretty much would have put somebody into the dirt if they tried to catch it. That's how hard he hit it. That three run homer that gave the A's the win in the first game of the series against Oakland, but two more hits for Gary Sanchez. You brought him up. I want to stick with Sanchez because you know what? We were on him 
all over the place in, in the beginning of the season. We know Gary could be streaky. We've seen it since he came up and had that ridiculous 20 homers in 53 games when he first came up. I believe it was 2016. It was the year before Aaron Judge came up with this Yankee team. Uh, but two more hits for him, 343 since May 27th. Something Paul O'Neill said, he lowered his leg kick, Jeff, and his hips aren't flying open. And that's why he's been able to actually lock in and turn around uh, his season. And he's got his timing back. The Yankees had three hits yesterday. Sanchez had two of them, including the go-ahead double that once again saved the Yankees and got them the series win. This is what I have to ask you, though. We could sit here and wax poetic about how great he's been, and we will. But if you're an opposing pitcher, Jeff, and you see that Gary Sanchez is absolutely destroying fastballs, which he couldn't get around on in the beginning of the season, how do you adjust to him? And then how does Sanchez adjust to the pitcher's adjustments? That's the great thing about baseball is turning the pages and seeing how pitchers are now going to adjust to him. So what would you do if you were going to face Gary Sanchez coming up here? If you're an opposing pitcher. Well, the thing of it is, is just like all the righties that they have, you know, they're not seeing a lot of baseballs in the inside part of the plate and they're not aware of that pitch and they're not, not not being knocked off. They're very comfortable right now. I mean, you look at Stanton when he's going hot, what happens? He's not seeing anything on the inside part of the plate that's moving his feet. Sanchez is the same way. And they're jumping on early camp fastballs or getting them from opposing pitchers. Aaron Judge is the same way. And then you can go to that breaking ball. If you make them aware of the inside pitch, which I would have to do to all of their righties, not just throw a strike, but get them off. Be, make them aware that, you know what, I'm coming in there and that ball's going to ride in there and you better be aware of it. Then it opens up that outside part of the plate for a breaking ball. I mean, you could even lock them up with a fastball on the outside part when they're all of a sudden looking for that slider. You know, that's what... He, guys did all the time you know you don't see that too often now pitchers are afraid to come in they're afraid to knock guys down or knock guys off that plate to try to open up that outside part of the plate and these righties are, are really taking advantage of it and Gary Sanchez is taking advantage of it right now and he's such a mental guy I mean we talked about his mental outlook his mental aspect as far as the game he really takes things to heart and maybe too much because it does affect him when he goes into that slump it's almost like a dark side that he has that okay once he goes over over 10 or over 12 it's really hard for him to snap out of it and then all of a sudden he starts off the ledge but when he's on this hot streak it really helps him mentally when he started out the season that first weekend you know he I thought okay this is going to really catapult him into a great season and all of a sudden he started going through that slump started getting the strikeouts the double plays you know missing balls that were right down the middle you just mentioned fastballs that he's missing and, and some of them weren't even 95 or 98 they were like 90 to 92 but now he's that streaky guy and we talked about it last time you know, you look at the lineup, and to me, there's maybe two or three guys in this lineup that aren't really streaky hitters. I think Judge is a guy that's not really a streaky hitter. He'll hit, you know, no matter what, LeMayhew and Urshela. Everybody else is really streaky. You have to ride these guys for that two-week stretch or that three-week stretch, and then all of a sudden, maybe somebody else starts picking them up. And we talked about, okay... You want Sanchez in that lineup all the time because now you have to ride this wave, ride him out to as long as he can go. But, you know, on occasion, you're going to have to catch a Gasioka, and that leaves Stanton again with the Achilles heel that he's not playing the outfield and he can't play the outfield. And Sanchez is on the bench, and then your your, your hottest hitter is not playing. So I think Sanchez is, I mean, uh, Stanton needs to get out there. He's got to take some fly balls. You've got to try him in the outfield. And, and get Sanchez in that lineup. You got to ride this wave while it's hot. You, you got, <laughs> you got this guy until 2029. 
Seriously, his last season with the Yankees is 28. So if you're not going to get him in the outfield, if you're you're not going to get him in the outfield, when you're, when you're starting catcher, Gary Sanchez is absolutely destroying baseballs right now. And he's sitting on the bench. I mean, look, Aaron Boone in Buffalo pushed the right buttons twice. He, He pinch hit Clint Frazier. He hit the big double. He pinch hit Gary Sanchez. He had a huge home run. The Yankees sweep the Blue Jays up in Buffalo. They take two of three from the A's, Nelly. They got two triple plays in four days, three triple plays in the last in less than a month. And what's even more amazing to me, going into Buffalo, they lost seven of nine and eleven of fifteen. They were nine games, nine, nine behind first place Tampa then. Over the last six days, they have trimmed five and a half games off that lead. Now they're trailing the Red Sox by four and a half as we tape this on Monday. The Red Sox have overtaken the Rays because the Rays can't find the left side of the uh, column where wins and losses are found. They've lost six straight. I mean, finally, something bad is happening to Tampa. They're starting to cool off. And didn't we say around the 60 game mark, we could start to see maybe something go wrong with Tampa right now. But the fact that the Yankees have shaved off that many games in just six days and coming back that's the thing everyone you know you you follow Nick Totoro on Twitter and you watch his videos this team has no heart I don't know how many times I have to hear Nick Totoro (laughs) say this team has no heart but over the last six days the Yankees heart collectively and I'm not saying that they haven't fought all season it's a long grueling season Nelly you could be the first one and and as fans you know we see this and, and we see them scuttling and we see them not maybe uh, showing heart, but that has nothing to do with it. I mean, this is a long season. Guys go through the ups and downs, and someone who could talk to that better than anyone is you. But the fact that they've done what they've done over the last six days, this shows you the heart, the collective heart that this team has and where they could be, as you said, and I'll give you all the credit to my cap to you, Nelly. You said, let's wait and see till September. And, you know, my job (laughs) is to be reactionary every time we do this like a fan would be because I want to lock into and and plug into the fans bloodstream and I know what Yankee fans go through trust me I I, I'm one of them and I go through it I I see the timeline on Twitter I feel the pain Yankees fans and right now you have to take the good with the good you really do and you have to try to lengthen this out and if the Yankees could do that and go up to Boston and and have a better series against the Red Sox then you could really say this is starting to turn the page and I got to tell you this Nelly I was going through my office last Monday so a week ago today when the Yankees had another off day and it was right before they started their three-game series in Toronto and I'm going to keep track of this too I opened one of my cabinets and I found my 2009 World Series Yankees hat and since I've taken that out of my cabinet they're five and one so I'm going to keep <laughs> updating that record and look, I ha- I've had as the my fans, wife calls the fans now I, have, have. Well, I know I know they do. They always have superstitions. My my wife calls them stupid stitions. But you know what? I, I, since I've taken that hat out of its hibernation, the Yankees have awoken. So I'm going to go with it. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to pump the brakes. You know, I have to pump the brakes because I want to wait and see. <laughs> you, you know, it's you look at I mean, they go and they sweep the White Sox. And at that time, the White Sox had the best record. I think, and the Astros, too. They That was right after the Astros. Yeah, and then they, they go and they beat the Astros, them. what, two out of three or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden they get swept in Detroit. And, and here we go. There's a roller coaster going down the hill. And then they're back up. They go and they sweep the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo. And then all of a sudden they, they win. Two out of three. They yeah. did, and they had to, and they could have easily lost three, but you know what? They won 
all three in Buffalo. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be a wait and see. You know, that would be nice. Okay, you got Kansas City. You should roll over these guys. There's no question. If you lose two out of three to Kansas City, here comes the roller coaster because then you're going flat into, into Boston where you have to – well, not have to, but you need to go in there and set a statement after they come into your house and sweep you. You got to go into their house and set some kind of statement against the Red Sox. But, hey, you know, they got Kansas City, and I expect them to at least win two out of three or at least sweep them and go in there hot against Boston, and let's see what happens. You know, they're playing great baseball right now, and it's nice to see some of these guys come alive like Sanchez. They moved them up in the lineup. Maybe you keep them there. You know, keep them there and try to get them in. And, I, you know, if I'm Aaron Boone, I got to put Stanton or either – you either put him on the bench and DH Sanchez to keep him in that lineup when Cole's pitching, or you make Stanton go out in left field and say, listen, buddy, I, I need you in the outfield because I need Sanchez in that lineup when Cole's pitching. Because you got to ride the wave of these hot guys. When Stanton's going well, you got to ride him. You know, a lot of these guys are streaky in this lineup. You got to ride it until until it cools down a little bit. Did you see the, the shot on the Yes Network? And by the way, when you said keep him here, keep him here. <laughs> I don't know why, but my movie brain, I just heard Joe Pesci screaming at Billy Bats, keep him here, keep him here. <laughs> Go home and get your shine box. Anyway, I, I just had to, I had to say that before I said this, but the Yes Network had a, had a shot. And David Cohn actually had some comments when Gary Sanchez came into pinch hit in Cole's game in Buffalo. You saw Cole's face kind of like, Oh, oh, okay. Now Gary's going to catch me, you know, and, but that, that has to go. And he has to understand that either that has to happen where he catches, I'm in complete agreement with you. Either that has to happen or Giancarlo Stanton has to play left field. I mean, and, and we talked about this. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we talked about this the last time. And maybe because they're protecting him so much is why he's running into so many leg issues. They would know better than me. I mean, I'm not going to sit here in my in-laws basement and play doctor and think that I know better than the Yankees in their performance team and, and Eric Cressy. But it just seems from afar that if the guy was maybe playing every day and was, and was used to it, like he was Jeff, you saw him when he played with the Marlins. I mean, there's no DH in the national league. The guy was, did, did, did he have this many leg issues when he was down well, in he Miami? Took, he, he had his vacations. He took his vacations during the year. I mean, even when he, I think when he had 50 home runs, there's some vacation time in there. But, I like how you, know, you say that, the vacation time. Yeah, he's always he's always been good no matter what. But you're right. He's been and, – and back then, you know, you weren't playing on real – I mean, he was, was playing on real grass. But, you know, he was playing right field all the time. You know, he was in the lineup. You know, so he was used to the rigors of being in the outfield and running around. And, and you know, it wasn't at months at a time like you've seen with the Yankees. But, you know, maybe two weeks, you know, he might have gone on the 10-day IL or back then when they had the 15 DL. You know, he would he would, he would hit it every once in a while. But you're right, he was in the outfield. And you don't see that. And, you know, you look around baseball and there's very few strictly DHs in the American League. A lot of these teams use that as, you know what, I'm going to take you off the field, give you an off day, give your legs a break, but I need you in the lineup type of deal. And with the Yankees, you know, they don't have that. It's Stanton's a typical DH. And, you know, in order to keep some of these guys fresh, 
they alternate before Stanton. They did so well with it. They did alternate the DH spot, but now they can't. But they need to put him in the outfield every once in a while, especially when Cole pitches. Yeah, I mean, every time Nelly keeps saying he's taking a vacation, I'm thinking Stanton's like get a one way trip to Bermuda and then gets to the stadium for game time. <laughs> I'm just picturing him tanning out uh, by the pool he every might. night. Who um, knows? But what's interesting, guys, you, you talk about the standing is that baseball and Nelly, you know this. It is a game of streaks. It is a season of streaks, I should say. With you know a team like the Rays goes on a six game losing streak, that opens up the opportunity for someone else. A team goes on an eight game winning streak, they get back in it. Well, right now the Yankees play. You said the Red Sox over the weekend. The Red Sox play the Rays this week. And immediately you get those two teams beating up on each other. And by the end of the weekend, you don't look back now. The Yankees can go from eight out to potentially first place before I feed you a steak dinner on 4th of July weekend. And I don't think you would have... You couldn't have paid me uh, to believe that was the case. So it, it's, this is the baseball season. It's so You talk about a roller coaster. All it takes is one bad week from another team and one good week from you. And that comes on the legs of us talking about Aaron Boone maybe being fired after those two losses to the Phillies. So he, his, seat was, his seat was scorching, and now they got him up on the bar mitzvah chair uh, holding him up in the air. L'chaim. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, God, that that's pretty good, Jake. I gotta I gotta admit that, Nelly. I got I just got a couple for you. Basically, with the pitching, the Yankees are now eleven and three when Jordan Montgomery starts, which to me is amazing. That's the best record in the American League when a starter starts. We we thought that the one A to Garrett Cole was going to be first Corey Kluber, then maybe Jamison Tyone, who who hasn't really uh, given too much. I mean, he's good for four or five innings when he is good or or he's out before the fourth inning. Now, look, he's coming back from his second Tommy John, but we're, we're going to be in July before we blink an eye here. And, and it's got to get better with Tyone. But who would have thought, Nelly, that Jordan Montgomery, when we thought it was going to be Kluber or Tyone, or maybe Luis Severino, if he ever gets back here, but he's the 1A to Garrett Cole. And, and I just, I'm curious as to what you think of how Montgomery's season has gone so far. I know he struggled in Buffalo, but he really bounced back against a very, very tough Oakland A's uh, lineup. Yeah, he pitched into the sixth inning. He only gave up the one run. He pitched very well. You know, it's been a learning experience, I think, for him. It's been up and down on occasion. Uh, you know, he he gets the run support, like you just mentioned, the record. I, I don't know what it is with players. It's really funny, or with teams, when you have your ace go out there, and I've seen it a lot when I was with Brandy Johnson, and, uh, you know, it always seemed like, oh, I don't know if the, if the offense lets down, saying, okay, we have a guy that's going to give us seven, eight innings, and you know you're going to shut him out. We'll just give him two runs, and we're good. And then you have someone like a Jordan Montgomery, who's a very good pitcher, and they go out and, and then they score a bunch of runs for him because they say, hey, we're going to have to score today because he might give up three or four. I don't know what it is. It always seems I know the players don't act that way or, or offenses don't don't see it that way. But it just seems like when you look at it, like, oh, there's a two one game in Cole one and or or and then all of a sudden Montgomery, you go out and you get the score like you did yesterday. So it, it was two to one. But he's pitched very well. And an occasion when he's throwing really well is when he has his breaking ball, when he's throwing his slider. And uh, he obviously has fastball command when and he's pitching down in the zone. He can change the eye level of the hitter uh, when he's 
he's not going well, he leaves a lot of a lot of balls up, and his breaking ball is not as sharp, and it's all of a sudden all out over the middle of the plate like a cement mixer, and it gets hit around. He's not walking, guys. He's not a guy that's going to walk you, but he's leaving a lot of balls out over the middle of the plate. And you look at the staff, and it, it's going to be interesting. You just mentioned July, and it's going to be the whole month of July. It's going to be trade talk. I don't know what pitcher is going to be out there, what's going to be available, what's the Yankees going to be able to do. Obviously, they need a center fielder. They need to get Judge out of center field. They also need a starter because, you know, now you look, you have Montgomery, who is, yes, he's been up and down occasion, but overall, he's been really good. Uh, Cole. And then after that, you have a Herman that's been a little bit inconsistent. Tyone has just not been there. Severino, you just mentioned, you don't know if you're, you're probably not going to expect him back until maybe September 1st. So by then, you have the other teams ahead of you. You know Boston's going to try to do something. You know Toronto's going to try to do something. They'll probably do something in the rotation and also in their bullpen. So it's going to be really interesting. And then you have all the other teams in, in baseball that want probably the same thing as the Yankees. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Yankees are going to do. Are they going to be able to go over that threshold? Are they going to be at, be able to add a significant pitcher and an outfielder, someone that's really going to turn this team around? Or are they just going to you know not be able to go over that threshold and and roll the dice and see what happens in the rotation and hope Severino comes back before September. The Yankees have been knocking teams out the past week, and our guest coming up is familiar with knockouts himself, achieving 24 of them in his boxing career. That would be Jerry Cooney. He's next on the Pinstripe Pod. Joining us now, gentleman Jerry Cooney, the champ, at Jerry Cooney on Twitter, at Jerry A. Cooney on Instagram. Champ, it's so great to have you on. Thanks for giving us some time. We appreciate it. Hey, are you kidding me, man? I love this. This is I'm a very big fan of Jeff. I've always been. I got to meet him a few times. I don't care what the other guys say about him. I think he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have a lot of his teammates on all the time, uh, champ, and and they all love him. So how did you guys meet, and, and how did your relationship start with Nelly? Hey, listen, Nelly's a great golfer, my man. He's a great golfer. And, you know, I was really good. I got to, like, a three handicap at one point. But to keep that three handicap, I had to leave my wife and my kids. <laughs> you know, I was playing, I, I, I got to tell you, I was playing two and a half rounds a day. I'd go to, a, 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 I'd play nine rounds before the tournament. I'd play the tournament, I'd play afterwards. And I got pretty good for a while. But, you know, I, I'm too old for that now. I, I, uh, I got torn rotator cuff. No, you never did that, did you? No, thank God. No, just uh, just some bone chips in the elbow, though. No, no tour and roto- rotator cuff yet. That he sold on eBay, by the yeah. way. <laughs> For charity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so good. I'm, you know, I had a great time golfing. A lot of met so many great athletes like yourself. I mean, there's the greatest thing in the world to all my, my heroes. I got to spend time with them, rub elbows with them and tell stories and you know, I'm a knucklehead, so I, I I love life. Well, I want to tell you before I ask some questions, you are the most infectious person that I've ever met in my life. You know, such a great, you are, you're such a great guy. You know, everybody gravitates to you and I, you know, you can see why now. I mean, it's, you're an amazing person and I was just honored to meet you and get to know you a little bit and, and uh, glad that you came on, obviously. But, you know, you I met you I, We've been to golf tournaments many a times, and yes, that's why I'm not married anymore because I got to keep my low handicap. You know, that's why that's why that happens. So hold on a second, I got a towel. I'm gonna start to cry here. <laughs> <laughs> Who's some of the guys that you've been around? Maybe some of the Yankee guys. I mean, because a lot. That's how we met. I think we golfed uh, the first time I met you was in the Yogi Berra tournament out in Montclair. 
obviously Rick Sharon was a, has always been a great guy, a really personable guy. Uh, he played on seven teams. He'll tell you all about it. But listen, he, he was a great guy. I mean, you know, you know, right in, off my head. I mean, I, I've been with all the guys. Jimmy Key is a crazy guy. One time I played, uh, I hit a, Jimmy Key hit a shot. He said, "I'll bet you anything you want, you won't get within thirty yards of me." Right. So I get up to the box, I hit the ball, and we drove up. I said, you're right. I was 30 yards past you. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I just, Dwight Gooden, I love. The, the, the rough life he had, the struggle, identify with it. You know, having that disease, you just, you, you cannot, you know, it just overruns your life until you can stand up and really put it down. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, just... You know, I, you know, it's hard for me to remember names now, but I love everybody I'm with because we we part laughing. We have a good time. I mean, and that's football, baseball, basketball, you name it. I mean, even tennis, I'll say, uh, you know, but, you know, I, I mean, oh, man, I saw the World Series. I was at the World, when they won the World Series so many times. So I love the coach. I love your guys, uh, the great coach. Uh, boy, Joe Torrey, great guy. And he's been through hell too. So anyway, it's just life is great. You know, it's what you know, what am I gonna do with my day today? Am I gonna have a great time or am I gonna push through? I mean, this past year's been a nightmare. It's been a nightmare with this a pandemic. I I got so comfortable being home, I don't wanna go out no more. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Uh Jerry, you, you grew up in New York, obviously. Uh you were five years old with that nineteen sixty one team, Marison Mantle. Do you have any recollection of that team as a five year old at all? No, no, I don't. Um, when, what what's your first what's your first like memories of the Yankees then growing up as a kid? The Yankees had it all my my, my I was at the Yankees uh Spring training camp when I met Strawberry and Blake Gooden and and uh, the owner at the time who was a very flamboyant. You had a play for him. What was his name? They passed away. Steinbrenner. 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 You know he was a, a a pretty powerful guy. And I I went down there a couple of years and I got to hang out with those guys. And and then like I said through the years we all doing some charity to help somebody. Which is another great thing that we do. You know, we make people laugh. We we uh, raise money for for kids who are suffering and struggling. And you know, we pass their days a little better. Now it's not a big deal to us, but we're helping out. And that's uh, you know, all those going to the hospital. I remember going to Washington to the children's hospitals and and the military hospitals and you know, just stuff like that. All our lives that we were so blessed to be able to do to make somebody smile when they're not supposed to be smiling. Well, Jerry, I want to ask about boxing, the heck with baseball now. Tell me how you got into this. I was reading a lot about you and, and you know, just about your career and, you know, talk a little bit about how that getting into boxing and how that, you know, that I don't think very many people know what it takes to be a professional boxer like you did. Listen, it was a great time. I grew up in a, my father was a raging drinker and abusive. And so my brother left the house when he was 15. When he was 18, he started going to a gym. I followed him there. I liked what he was doing. I hit the bag. And six months later, I went into the New York State Golden Glove Championships, and I won the middleweight title. And my brother made it to the finals, too, and he lost. He didn't stick with it. I did. It fed me. You know, I, I, I grew up hiding in the basement, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And when I would fight, the next day I'd go to the newspaper stand, and I was mostly, 
on the back page every week knocking some guy out. I had seven fights, five knockouts. I won the middleweight title. I got a heavy bag from Herman's Sporting Goods store. They told me if I won, they were going to give me a bag. I was there the first thing in the morning to pick up my bag. <laughs> and, you know, and so you know, what, I, what I found out, uh, um, you guys, is that boxing helped me to express the anger I felt for what was happening to me in my home. And then they put my picture in the paper, so it made me somebody. And then I was pretty good at it. I mean, I, I made it to the finals three times. I won the gloves twice. I fought on the United States team. I uh, came back from Europe. I had four knockouts and four fights. I, they told me, stay in shape. The Russians are coming. I was partying. I was drinking in the summertime. I went in the six days before the fight. I ran for six days. I ate good. I had Brussels sprouts. And, and, I, and I went into the fight, and I fought the third-ranked Russian heavyweight, and I knocked him out in the first round. <laughs> and the, the worst part of, of my life was the next day I got a phone call from the president of the Olympic Committee, and he told me I made it to the finals of the Olympic trials in 1976 and I'm going to go to the top eight guys go to Colorado Springs and fight it out do I want to go I said I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to make it he was like son he asked me three times I said no my father's sick I got to stay home and I hung up the phone and that was a lie it was 10% my father was sick 90% was I'm not good enough I'm going to make an ass of myself I shouldn't I, 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 I can't beat these guys instead of taking that opportunity that I try and tell everybody today you've got to jump in the water You've got to take the shot. And then, of course, the second uh, biggest time in my life was uh, May 11th, 1981. I knocked out Kenny Norton in 54 seconds of the first round. It was like, wow, I saw his socks fall off that day. I hit him so hard. And you think that day I would say, well, I better get a good trainer. I better get ready. I'm going to fight Larry Holmes for the heavyweight championship of the world. No, that was the night my career ended. I started to drink heavily and mess around with some other recreational drugs, which I really regret. And uh, 13 months later, I got stopped in the 13th round against a great champion. Listen, we, we had a tournament at uh, Sirius XM on my radio station, a heavyweight tournament, and Larry Holmes made it to the finals, and he lost to Ali. So he was a great champion and a great guy, and I love him to this day. And, you know, I hated him. There was so much racism going on back in that day, and, and uh, he hated me because I was getting a lot of attention. And the night of the fight, we're in the center of the ring with Mills Lane, and he looks at me and says, Jerry, let's have a good fight. And that's what heavyweight boxing is about. And that's why I was in the game. I wanted to participate. Now, hey, had I had a chance to do it over again, I would have. Can you imagine if I took care of myself from 81 to fighting Holmes? I could have maybe won. Can you take us through that fight, Jerry? Because that went to, what, 13 rounds? Can you just take us in your mindset in the ring and going up against such a legend? I mean, and the beatdown that both of you probably took in there? Listen, I hope you guys are going to laugh at this. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was the greatest night of my life. You know, I'm, I'm in the ring. We get in there. The bell starts. And I second round, I come out. And I get hit with it right here. And I get dropped. And I say to myself, Cooney, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I got up and I fought back. And that was the fight. You know, I mean, listen, it was 150. Hey, Jeff, did you ever pitch at 115 degrees out? Yes, in Kansas City with, with, on the turf. It was, I think it was like 120 on the turf. I mean, it was, they were, it, guys would have to come in and put, you know, cold towels over their feet because they're spikes. And you had to change to metal spikes. A lot of people were plastic spikes on turf and they started melting. Wow, that's unbelievable. Well, anyway, it was 115 degrees there that night. And, you know, I, I had mostly all knockouts in my fights. And so, you know, all I ever heard from the press was I couldn't go the distance. I couldn't go the distance. So I think in some ways that night when I went out, I was trying to prove 
I could go the distance. And that goes that falls back on not having the experience. Had a lot of a lot of good fights, a lot of knockouts, but I didn't get a lot of looks. And uh, one of the biggest problems for me was that Don King, he owned the heavyweight division. He had everybody signed but me. And I wasn't going to sign with him because I wanted to stay independent so I can make what I can make. And that was a great thing on one hand. But the other hand, I didn't get the chance to get the experience from fighting the Witherspoons or all the other guys that were around them that could have helped me become smarter, have better looks, so that when I had the opportunity of fighting Larry Holmes, the greatest fighter, one of the greatest fighters of all time, I could have had a better idea how to handle it. Now, when you fought Norton, it was a 50, you said 54 seconds. Is that still a record? Because they said it was a record back then. You broke something back in 1948. You know, i got to tell you something. The worst thing about that night was after the fight, we had a post-fight press conference, right? And we're sitting in the back room, me and Kane, and an old press. And one guy asked him, well, how hard does he hit? I was like, I was, like, I was embarrassed. Like, what do you ask him? I think he remembers how hard he hit him. <laughs> and he was not cold. I mean, he was not cold. Speaking of that, though, Jerry, when you when you hear a guy like George Foreman, who isn't too shabby either in the heavyweight division, and he says you're one of the three hardest punchers he had ever faced in his career, along with Ron Lyle and Cleveland Williams, what does that mean to you to hear that? You know what? It was fun. It was fun to hear that, especially David Letterman, who's a great guy. And uh, but you know, the thing was when I first Foreman, I was promoting fights. I was retired. I was. I was promoting fights, and he was one of the guys we were promoting. So I had gotten stopped drinking, uh, you know, April 88, and uh, he came up to me one day and said, Jerry, why don't we fight? So I thought about it. I, I, you know, I thought, what the hell? I, I never did this clean. I never did it without drinking. I can do this 100%. And it was a nice payday. So I said, you know what? I'll do it. And I got in great shape, but I wasn't sober enough. I wasn't really away from the booze enough. So I really didn't have a – I didn't really – I wasn't really uh, screwed on too tight yet. And I got caught with a shot. I hit him with a hook. And I hit him with a body shot. And I got caught. I got hit with an uppercut. And uh, so anyway, it was a great experience. It helped me. You know, I don't know about you, uh, Jeff, but if you, when you knew it's over, you can finally turn the page and get on with your life. I couldn't do it for so many years. It was dumb. But I felt like I, I, I got to do I got to do more. And then after that fight, I was able to turn the page and get on with my life. And it's been unbelievable. Because I've made peace with all those demons and the mistakes I made and the people I heard and the girls I heard and, and life. And, and now I have a beautiful wife. I can't wait to go to bed with her tonight, every night. I got three great kids I was with yesterday on Father's Day. By the way, happy Father's Day, you guys. Yeah, happy Father's Day. And, uh, and I love life like you can't imagine. It's just, you know what happens to me now? You guys are too young to do this. But every time I turn around, it's Thursday again. It's crazy, <laughs> it's crazy, boy. It's crazy, boy. Did you boycott the Foreman Grill when you lost to Foreman, or do you still pick on? <laughs> you know what? I did. I did a, a grill with. Uh, I did a grill with one of the Knicks. I don't know what it is. No, I don't. I, you know, I got a great wife who's a great chef, and so I just sit back and enjoy. You know what I do? I wash the dishes. I heard somebody say one time, at least I, all the things I put my wife through, at least I can do is wash the dishes. I thought, hey, that makes a lot of sense. I've been washing dishes ever since. 
<laughs> you know, Jerry, I always used to be, uh, I must say, used to be a big, huge boxing fan only back in your day. And, you know, uh, you know, Ali and, you know, Holyfield, Tyson, Lewis, Lennox Lewis, so those type of fighters. I, I loved watching boxing, Sugar Ray Leonard. And, you know, what do you think about it now? You know, it's it seems to me it's changed so much. Now you have these YouTube characters or whatever, they the Paul brothers, they're out, you know, trying to do these exhibitions. The last one with uh, Mayweather was probably a joke. But what do you think of this? stuff now you know i think because of the pandemic it's like kind of a sideshow and and they put these things on these youtubers and to tell you the truth they're offering fighters you know unbelievable amounts of money to fight on their card and so it's, it's, it's and what happens what they want to do is they want to get those young kids interested in boxing so they can come over to our uh, place and spend money there so I think overall it's good. I mean, I mean, seeing Snoop Snoopy dog smoking, smoking. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Phil Bernstein saying, "Yeah, I just have a contact tie. I don't smoke it. It's a contact tie." I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a fun expression. Listen, do I want it every day? No. Is it going to be a spectacle? Is it going to happen every month? No. But they're going to have it. And Mayweather that night got old. So one day you're young. You know this, Jeff. One day you feel like a million dollars. Next day, uh oh doesn't work anymore and that's what happened to him that night and he fought a big guy with long arms who's an athlete and he, he showed them uh I mean, that was a little bit embarrassing now you know Floyd Mayweather you were talking about Leonard Hearns Duran Hagler you know and some of the great fighters back in Tyson Floyd Mayweather said he's the best fighter of all time come on he, he couldn't get in a ring with Ray Leonard he couldn't get in a ring with Duran you know, and, and I, I don't know if that's because I'm older that I feel that way. But he's a good fighter. He's talented. But he doesn't have nothing to do. Leonard would fight him to the death. Those guys, Tommy Hearns. Could you imagine Tommy Hearns being there with him? My God. So anyway, it's, <laughs> they're always going to talk about it. They're always going to talk about it forever. But, and we all have our own opinions. And listen, I, was up, I, was, I grew up in a great era. I mean, I saw Ali fight Frazier. I saw Frank Sinatra. I saw, you know, Joe DiMaggio coming to the arena. I became friends with Frank Sinatra. I became friends with all those people. Bob Hope and, and uh, Sammy Davis. Dean Martin with his, with his martinis walking around the ring. You guys are too young to know those guys. No, 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 no. I, I, I know those guys. Trust me. I've heard of them. <laughs> it was such a great time. It was such a great time, you know, in the game. Uh, you know, and like when you were, listen. Jeff, you were great. Thanks. I mean, that that's unbelievable to watch you play out. And then to meet you and then to see this, the solidness of who you are. It's so powerful. Yeah, I can't tell you. I, I walked away feeling amazed that those nights when I saw you and was around you. And, and uh, that's the gift. Now, I didn't have that gift. I was like a street kid. I had to find my own way since I was 16. I've been on my own since I was 17. And I think I did good. Looking back now, I wrote a book, a book's out on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Gentleman Jerry, a contender and a champion of recovery, about this life I had. And, and, and through writing that book, I can really appreciate who I was with where I came from and how far I got is amazing. I wasn't supposed to get there. And I got almost to the pinnacle of the sport. And had someone grab me by the arm when I knocked out Norton said, come on, kids, come with me. It's important now. I might have beat Holmes that night. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But I'm alive. I'm kicking. I'm breaking you guys' balls. And I'm having a good <laughs> And we love you. We love you, Jerry. I have one more for you before we go. Uh, and that is, you know, I grew up 
boxing was like an event. If there was a pay-per-view, one of my family members got it and we just all piled into their house and we watched it. And I got to be honest with you. I, I host the show Boxing 30 on the S Network too. I just don't feel the same connection that I felt with boxing growing up. I grew up, when I was a kid, it was Hagler Hearns. It was uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. It was you. It was Holmes. All these great, tremendous fights. Do you ever think, especially with now MMA in the fold, that this sport, especially the heavyweight division, do you think it ever comes back? Listen, I want to tell you something right now. I want you to sit down and listen to me. Boxing is great right now. The welterweights, the lightweights, the light heavyweights, the Canelo is 168. We have great fights right now. The pandemic has kind of hit us hard. We're going to start seeing some great champions fight. These guys are good, you know, and they're coming over on the zone. They're coming over on, you know, Bob Aaron has been a promoter for 50 years. He's got top ranks. you got Showtime. you got all these great networks that are going to burst. They're going to come together. And I'm telling you something, you're going to see great fighters once again. Are they going to compare with the days of old? You know, you think of Ray Robinson, you think of Jake LaMotta, you think of Sandy Sadler, Willie Pep, those kinds of guys. I don't know, but I know there's great fighters. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Teofimo Lopez, you know, at lightweight, at lightweight, junior welterweight. There's so many great fighters. And all I tell people is on your computer screen, put on boxing scene. And follow it for a couple of weeks and start to read some of the stories. And these fighters have great stories. And they can fight. They fight with their heart. They want that strikeout. They want to make that play. They want to do all the things that you want to see them do. And that's why boxing is so great because in the old days, you remember Joe Lewis fought Max Schmeling when the world was going in war. They were fighting in the war. And when Max Schmeling got knocked out by Joe Lewis, the world in America came alive. So all these people that were working two or three jobs, they go back and listen and watch Jeff Nelson pitching on the mound, or they watch Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali fighting in the ring. If they win and they love them, they have a little better walk the next day. They feel a little better. They feel a little more proud. And that's all we do. And that's what sports is all about. And I'm so glad to be a part of it and to be with you guys. And I could talk for another hour. Believe me, I have a little bit. Of, I have about a half a cold brew in me right now. <laughs> that's what I got in me too. And a boy. All right, Jerry, we do appreciate the time. As uh, Jerry mentioned, he's got a book out. Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. Go get that on Amazon right now. You could also follow him on Twitter at Jerry Cooney and on Instagram as well at Jerry A. Cooney. Champ, it was, you know, it was such a pleasure following your career when I grew up. I'm an Irish Catholic kid too, so I had that connection to you. So it's just such a pleasure talking to you and having you on. I can't even begin to tell you how much we appreciate the time. Thanks, champ. Well, listen, I love you guys too. Thank you. I'll catch you again, okay, guys? And Nelson, I want six rounds with you, bro. And no playing around. Three and out, peace. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to run around the ring, and I. I still don't want a piece of you. <laughs> That says goodnight to episode 63, the Lucas Litke edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Please dive into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write it in a positive review. We do appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back on Thursday after the first two Yankees games with the Royals. Enjoy the games, everyone. We'll see you soon. <laughs>